the best thing you can do during times like this is to mostly ignore the noise because mm -hmm. the economy, the macroeconomic backdrop, it's going to swing. It's going to change. The winds are going to blow one way one week and another way the next week. But what's not going to change are a lot of the secular underlying growth stories that mm -hmm. we talk about in these podcasts. What's not going to change is the fact that consumers are going to adopt electric vehicles en masse over the next three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. What's mm -hmm. not going to change is that solid state batteries are going to become a thing and change the world as we know it over the next five to ten years. What's up, HGI investors, and welcome back to Hypergrowth Investing. I'm Aaron Davis, and as always, pleased to be joined by the one, the only, Luke Lango. Luke, how are the BIPs doing today? Uh, the BIPs are good, Aaron, but more importantly, I got this, this fancy little mic here. Apparently, my audio has been not that great over the past several podcasts, so Aaron was so wonderful and kind as to send me this wonderful mic and what's it called a, a pop filter for anybody that knows what that is i didn't know what it was until today um so now i'm gonna sound wonderful for this podcast i hope i don't know please let me know if i don't i'll have aaron send me another one <laughs> well you sound great to me right now and i'm looking forward to getting into everything with your new microphone in just a few moments um, if this is your first time joining us, Hypergrowth Investing is the weekly podcast that picks the brain of investment analyst Luke Lango. Each week, we take an in-depth look at emerging tech and investment innovations, electric vehicles, cryptocurrencies, the metaverse, and more. Nothing is off limits. If you're joining us for the first time, we go up every Wednesday on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you choose to listen to your favorite podcasts. So make sure to like and subscribe to get Hypergrowth Investing as soon as it goes up. Again, I'm Aaron Davis, educator lifelong learner and your proxy into the mind that is the luke lango luke we got a ton of things to cover uh and catch up with again uh so let's just dive right in uh first i want to dive in and check in on uh, some of the alternative energy picks that we've talked about before one in specifically uh with soaring gas prices uh that have coincided with some of the record number of consumers considering electric vehicles and clean alternative alternative energy uh alternatives We've covered QuantumScape a couple of weeks ago, mm -hmm. and it seems like it's more relevant as ever. Um, anything new to report on that front? I think it's true to say that QuantumScape is more relevant than ever. Uh, but you have to keep in mind that QuantumScape is a, a long-term thing. We are five-plus years away from uh, solid-state batteries becoming a functional real-world reality. So that, that's a long-term play. So its relevancy has increased, but more relevant is actually just – here and now automakers ev automakers um here and now are lithium miners here and now are lithium ion battery makers um that is the ev charging companies that's the here and now that's where the relevancy is really really increasing so quantumscape stock what's new to report nissan and nasa uh, are partnering to create solid state batteries that's basically now every major auto oem in the world is at least delving into exploring working with creating solid state battery technology it's the inevitable 
future of the industry. QuantumScape continues to be the undisputed leader in this space. They're going to be first to market with solid-state batteries. Those batteries are probably going to be the best. So the long-term thesis there hasn't changed much at all. Of course, the more we delve into electric vehicles, the more we delve into energy storage systems, the more batteries just basically dominate all of society the better the bull thesis looks for QuantumScape stock. So to that end, recent developments do underscore the bull thesis for QuantumScape stock. But if you're looking to play the here and now and not have a five-year play there, a five-plus-year play there, that's where you're looking at your EV automakers, you're looking at your uh, EV charging companies, you're looking at your miners, your battery makers. Those are stocks that could get immediate jumps in revenues, in profits, and in the prices um, today in 2022 and 2023. Does the hype at all accelerate that five-year outlook? For QuantumScape or for just EVs? For the, for the industry as a whole. Um, I think what you're seeing right now is, uh, we've been over this before, the Russian invasion of Ukraine has underscored that this global energy system that we have built on fossil fuels is very fragile and very unreliable and subject to huge variances that come at the expense of U.S. consumers paying more in gas prices, paying more in their heating bills, paying more in their energy bills, so on and so forth. So we need to reinvent that system. There are two thoughts of uh, two schools of thought here. One, we reinvent it by just becoming our own domestic fossil fuel producers. Or two, we reinvent it by building the energy network on top of clean energies. As we've discussed before, the first is a inherently unviable solution because there is a shot clock on fossil fuels and fossil fuels only exist in certain places on earth. So that's a flawed uh, solution. The real solution is clean energies. So what's happening right now is accelerating the transition towards electric vehicles, hydrogen, wind, um, solar, and energy storage systems. In that future, batteries are the most important thing on earth by far and away because fast forward 2025 fast forward 2030 we're living in a clean energy dominated society everyone's driving an electric car everyone's home is powered by clean energy everyone's got an energy storage system at their home the grid is backed by energy storage systems all of those things are built on batteries all of them and most of them we built on either lithium-ion or lithium metal batteries so the battery is going to basically power not just your phone, your laptop, um, and your, your TV or whatever it may be over the next several years, it, it's going to power everything that you do. The way you live is going to be possible because of a battery. So that's why we're so excited on all companies related to battery manufacturing, battery mining, all that stuff. And we like the companies that have developed the biggest technical edges. And that is something like QuantumScape, a company that is working on technology that is groundbreaking, game changing, and that most importantly is going to be very difficult to replicate. That's what QuantumScape's doing. That's why we're very constructive on QuantumScape stock. And given recent developments, we think that only bodes very well for QuantumScape stock in the long term. Gotcha. Well, unlike QuantumScape, many of the hyper growth companies that we discuss. Uh, you know, have had meaningful and rapidly growing revenue, mm -hmm. yet their stock prices have, you know, for lack of a better term, been crushed. Now, right. I know that you've been doing some interesting research on this, and I'm curious if you can share just a little bit about what you're finding without kind of giving too much about some of the behind the scenes stuff that you do. 
Sure, Aaron. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought this up. This has been a huge area of research for uh, my team and myself over the past several months, actually. It's been the focus of our research, I would say. And it centers around this very core and simple, almost too simple idea that the stock price of a company is Mm -hmm. ultimately determined by how successful that company is. Sounds like a very simple, very elementary, almost (laughs) rudimentary idea, yet it is 100% true. And how well a company is doing is determined by how many, how much revenue it produces and how much profit it produces out of those revenues. Now, Mm -hmm. the, the mathematical backing there is that if you were to pull up a chart of the S&P 500's revenue per share and Mm -hmm. the S&P 500 over the past 30 years and pull up another chart with the S&P 500 earnings per share and line that up with the S&P 500 over the past 30 years as as well, pull those two charts up and you're going to see that the correlations are so strong. Actual mathematically speaking, the correlation between earnings and stock prices is 0.93 and the correlation between revenues and stock prices is 0.88. Now this is going on data back to 1990, I believe. So we have Mm -hmm. 30 years of data here that's showing us that the correlation basically between revenues and earnings and stock prices is about 0.9. Now, For those who need a little Statistics 101 refresher, correlations range from minus one, perfectly anti-correlated, to plus one, perfectly positively positively correlated. And you don't get readings close to positive one, 0.95, 0.93, 0.9, 0.88. You don't get readings like that all that often in the real world. Perfectly positive correlations normally reserved for lab tests, things that happen in, con- in controlled environments. So for us to be seeing a reading of 0.9, a correlation of 0.9 between revenues and earnings and stock prices in the real world basically means that that correlation is as strong as anything gets in the real world. In a stochastic environment, that's as strong as a correlation as you'll find. So that's the basic simple idea. As go revenues and earnings, so go stocks. Stocks should follow the trajectory of revenues and earnings. And they do. Every once in a while, though, you get this freak phenomenon where the stock price diverges from the revenue trend line, from this fundamental business trend line, from the revenue trend line, from the earnings trend line, wherein revenues and earnings of a company continue to move higher, yet the stock price goes lower. And that opens up what we're calling divergence windows. Because what happens is that this divergence emerges and it's like stretching a rubber band. So the rubber band, you know, it's super tight here and then you stretch it and you stretch it and you stretch it and you stretch it. At some point, you stretch your rubber band so far that it just snaps back and it comes Mm -hmm. back to equilibrium, to its natural state. The equilibrium, the natural state of stocks is to correlate with their earnings and revenue. So when this rubber band gets stretched, this divergence window opens up, eventually it reaches a point where the rubber band just snaps back. The stock price snaps back and you see some enormous returns in these stocks amid these divergence windows. And that's the phenomenon we're starting to see emerge right now that's only emerged about once a decade over the past 40 Mm -hmm. years. And every time it has emerged, it has created some tremendous 
buying opportunities. And we think we're seeing the same thing emerge today because we're seeing a lot of companies continue to grow to your point revenues at a 20%, 30%, 40%, 50% year over year over year clip quarter after quarter after quarter, yet the stocks are are dropping. This is a huge divergence. It ultimately ends in one thing, a convergence. And in that convergence, the stock price will snap back up to the fundamental business trend line of the company. And that snapback, those are windows where investors can make 100%, 200%, 300% in a matter of 12 months. And so long as those revenues continue to trend higher, these are the types of stocks that will be long-term compounders and rise 500, 600, 700% or more over the next few years. So it's a really interesting phenomenon we're seeing emerge and one that we are hyper-focused on right now. Yeah. So, so you talked about how this is something that has happened before or in your analysis. Can you describe a little bit about the historical precedent that you've seen before and yep. how that is trending with what you're seeing right now? Yeah, great. Yeah. So what happens is that the um, markets are normally rational. And during rational mm-hmm. times, the stocks are in equilibrium. They're in that natural state of following earnings and revenues. But every once in a while, something freaky happen, something scary, something spooky, and that causes the markets to act irrational. So when that irrationality happens, you break the equilibrium and stocks start to diverge from their natural state, from their earnings and revenue trend lines. This happened in the late 1980s during uh, Black Monday, during the savings and loans crisis. You had a huge market crash. You had people thinking that the banking sector was on the brink of collapse. It was a very scary time. Recession fears were abound, yet companies continued to grow. So you had this divergence where revenues and earnings for a lot of companies were going higher and stock prices were drifting lower. It ended in a massive and rapid convergence wherein a handful of stocks rallied hundreds of percent within 12 months. Fast forward to the dot-com crash of 2000. You had people thinking that the internet was just a passing fad. You had people concerned about a recession. You had people concerned about also the Iraq war and the 9-11 attacks were happening around that time. So you had this divergence because even amid all that chaos, companies were still growing their revenues and earnings, especially internet companies, especially dot-com companies. The revenues and earnings, Amazon, for example, eBay, for example, Microsoft, for example, they continued to grow the revenues and earnings through the chaos if their stock prices drifted because of macroeconomic fear. Eventually and inevitably, that divergence ended with a rapid convergence wherein stocks like Amazon and Microsoft and eBay rallied hundreds of percent within 12 months. It was a very, very rapid return window. Then you go forward or fast forward to 2008. You saw the same thing happen again where this divergence emerged. Um, You had the great financial crisis, the housing bubble bursting. It looked like the American economy was literally on the brink of destruction and What people don't realize is even through that noise, a lot of great software companies, a lot of great tech companies actually continue to grow their revenues and earnings yet their stock prices drifted lower because of macroeconomic fears. Boom, divergence opened up. People who capitalize on that divergence window saw huge returns during the convergence. You saw massive returns during that. And again, you even saw this divergence happen or divergence window open up very briefly uh, during the COVID-19 crisis. Remember, March 2020, Everything Mm -hmm. was falling out of bed. It felt like the whole entire stock market was just crashing and it was the sky was falling down. But what happened, you know, during that time, during March, during April, during May 
a lot of tech companies, digital companies, really grew their earnings and revenues very quickly. So for a brief mm-hmm. moment in time during March 2020, you had companies like Zoom and Peloton and Etsy that were actually growing their earnings and revenues very quickly while their stocks were falling out of bed. Huge divergence window opened up and it resulted in a massive convergence over the course of the rest of 2020, wherein those stocks just absolutely roared higher. So this divergence window happens. Again and again and again and again and again and again and again, and and it always creates massive opportunities. We think one is opening up right now. We're trying Mm -hmm. to study the best opportunities in it, see where the divergences are biggest, see where the opportunities are biggest. But that's something we're really excited about uh, in the market today because everyone's worried about a recession. Everyone's worried about inflation. Everyone's worried about the Fed, rising rates. People are worried about a housing top. These sound like very familiar concerns to what we heard in the late 1980s, what we heard in the early 2000s, what we heard in 2008. Not what we heard in 2020 because that was completely unique. This is not a world mm-hmm. pandemic. But um, it's very similar to concerns we heard during previous divergence windows. And so history doesn't repeat. It tends to rhyme. And we're hearing a rhyme right now. And so when we start hearing this rhyme, we start looking for opportunities. Mm-hmm. We're starting to find some selectively. We're still doing our research, but we think that over the next two to three months, you're going to get a great opportunity to buy some world-class stocks at really good prices right before they have this rubber band snapback convergence to their fundamental business trend lines. So the, the factors that we talk about almost on a weekly basis, are those the things that are influencing this divergence or like you said with the historical precedent for the other uh times that you've seen this in the past right yeah so no exactly the the very thing which causes these divergence windows these rare stock market phenomenons to occur is macroeconomic fears uncertainty and volatility Mm -hmm. um and so right now we have that right we have a war in europe we have covid lockdowns in china we have inflation Mm -hmm. at multi-decade highs we have a fed that is sounding super hawkish and ready to aggressively tighten all of these fears are creating the backdrop against which one of these windows historically tends to open up because here's the thing aaron The stock market is awfully resilient. The U.S. economy is awfully resilient. Never have those two things broken. They temporarily get harmed, but they always and forever bounce back. Every single time like clockwork. But during those times of panic, a lot of people lose their heads and think that this time is different. You know, this this is the big one. This is the one where everything blows up and you're never coming back. They said yeah. that in the late 80s. They said that mm-hmm. in 2000. They said that in 08. They said that in March 2020. And they're saying it again now. OK, it is never the end of times. OK, the mm-hmm. end game is hundreds of years away and nothing you and I have to worry about in our life in our lifetimes. Let's remove the end game scenario. Removing the end game <laughs> scenario, we can see that, OK, there's some issues out there, but these freakouts about how this is going to be the end, the end of times, completely overblown. Mm-hmm. Let's look for opportunities. That's what the divergence window is all about. It's all about capitalizing on unique stock, individual stock opportunities of companies that are able to grow rapidly 
even against a volatile macroeconomic backdrop. And these are companies mm-hmm. like electric vehicle makers, right? Mm-hmm. Against all this, this, this noise, what a lot of people don't understand is that you have a handful of EV startups that are about to launch their first vehicles here in 2022. Rivian, mm-hmm. they, Rivian and Lucid both launched in late 2021, but they're going to really mm-hmm. ramp production here in 22. Canoe's coming out with their first vehicle in 22. Fisker's coming out with their first vehicle in 22. Arrival's mm-hmm. coming out with their first vehicle in 22. So against this macroeconomic volatility, rising metal prices, all spooky dooky dooky, you have <laughs> a lot of EV companies that are actually getting ready to ramp their operations. That's mm-hmm. an opportunity where those companies' revenues are about to grow rapidly. Mm-hmm. Their stock prices are depressed. You could see a massive convergence there. Think about mm-hmm. something like... Um, Enterprise software spending, uh, mm-hmm. enterprise tech companies, Zooms, DocuSigns, Elastics, things like that. Those are companies who are seeing tremendous growth right now. Their stock prices are collapsing. Are their revenues going to stop growing anytime soon? Are their earnings going to stop growing anytime soon? Probably not. Enterprises have a lot of money. They're spending a lot on digital transformations. Hybrid work is becoming normalized. Those revenues and earnings, the revenues and earnings of those companies are going to continue to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. Eventually, the rubber band on those stocks is going to get pulled so far that it's going to snap back super, super rapidly. And you're going to see massive returns in those stocks. So, what investors should be doing right now, as opposed to worrying about the macroeconomic backdrop, is identifying individual stock opportunities that are uh-huh. undergoing this divergence phenomenon, whose stock uh-huh. prices are getting crushed, yet their fundamental business trends are growing like light speed, and hunker down in those opportunities. Because eventually, inevitably, just like every single stock market freakout before in the history of uh-huh. the stock market, this will end in a convergence. And being in those stocks will allow you to capitalize most opportunistically on this convergence. So that's where our focus is. Single stock opportunities, look for those revenue growth trends that are just continuing to impress despite an ugly backdrop. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking to the strength of the market, how traditionally it's going to outlast us all, and at least in our lifetimes, uh, another thing that you've been doing research in is – kind of what traditional Wall Street and traditional analysts have been doing, uh, specifically the buy-to-sell ratios of what uh, Wall Street analysts are doing right now. Yeah. What are you seeing in, in that area right now? Okay, good question. Yeah. Um, so, again, focusing on single stock opportunities, it's not just us that are seeing these tremendous opportunities in single stocks. Um, mm-hmm. It's Wall Street analysts as well. So... FactSet released some data, I believe it was two weeks ago. It was the end of March, so three weeks ago. Um, And it said that 57% of all analyst ratings, Wall Street analyst ratings, sell-side analyst ratings out there right now are buy ratings. Mm -hmm. And that is the highest portion of buy ratings from sell-side Wall Street analysts since October 2011. So basically, mm-hmm. Wall Street analysts are more bullish on single stock opportunities than they've been in over 10 years. Mm-hmm. That said something, because these are 
you know, I get a lot of people don't like Wall Street analysts. I get it. They're easy people mm-hmm. to blame. They're easy scapegoats. They come out, they put ratings on stocks. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're wrong. When they're wrong, mm-hmm. they're the guy you want to blame or the girl you want to blame because, you know, they're the guy that your girl or girl that told you to buy the stock in the first place. So you get mad. At them. Mm-hmm. I get it. OK, sometimes they have biases. I get that, too. But at the end of the day, these are really smart, really qualified really well-connected people with a bunch of data resources, Bloomberg terminals, and they're running the numbers and they're coming to conclusions. Those conclusions mm-hmm. need to be taken with a grain of salt, sure, but they should not be disregarded, okay? So when we look at that 57% analyst uh, buy rating, that's pretty bullish. What mm-hmm. happened the last time the analyst buy proportion was this high? October 2011. Well, stocks were coming off a pretty rough period, and they proceeded Mm -hmm. to rally about 30% over the next 12 months. They soared. So the last time analysts were this bullish, they were right. The stock market ended up powering higher. Is history going to repeat itself? Maybe. We think it's entirely possible. We think that Mm -hmm. with analysts being so bullish on single stock opportunities, there's a reason for that. There's a disconnect between fundamentals and prices, divergence, and Mm -hmm. that ultimately this divergence ends in a convergence. So we think that the possibility of a 30% melt-up in the stock market over the next 12 months is entirely likely, and that if that melt-up does materialize, the gains in certain single stocks are going to be much, much, much larger. Uh, Stocks Mm -hmm. that are seeing the biggest divergences right now will similarly see the biggest convergences uh, in the event a melt-up does occur over the next 12 months. So looking at, again, a lot of the hyper-growth uh, picks that we kind of talk about sometimes, your, your outlook is long-term. It's right. five-year, 10-year outlooks. Um, but from the conversation that we're having right now, it seems that between the divergence, between uh, analysts being bullish, that there could be a potential, you know, big money, big gains to be made in the next 12 months. Is that accurate? Or is it still a lot of the stuff that you're looking at more long-term? Yeah, so let me let me say two things here. One, I always invest with the long term as my priority because Mm -hmm. predicting the short term even 12 months is very difficult to do and Mm -hmm. it's not something anybody should be hanging their hat on consistently because sometimes the your hat's going to fall if you do that so you don't want to consistently hang your hat on near-term outlooks and trading predictions if those predictions go wrong you hang your hat on the long term because long term is much easier to forecast. The long term, you can have much more confidence about and you can continue to hunker down even if the near term doesn't look so great. So I always invest with the long term as my priority. Always. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, having said that, I do think there are some tremendous opportunities here over the next 12 months. Our 12 month outlook is pretty bullish on specifically hyper growth tech stocks. Because there's just so much data here that says we are the markets are so fearful about a recession. We got the yield curve inversion, Goldman uh-huh. Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Citigroup. Everybody's coming out saying it's probably going to be a recession in late 23. Probably going to be a recession. Probably going to be a recession. Probably going to be a recession. The um, AAII, the Association of American Individual Investors survey of uh, bullish sentiments just fell to its lowest levels since basically 2008. So you're seeing tremendous bearishness out of the people who participate in the stock market right now. That bearishness, that overwhelming level of bearishness, usually a great contrarian indicator. 
okay? Because every time we get yield curve inversions in the past, they precede big stock market melt-ups of 20% or more over the subsequent 12 to, 20, 12 to 24 months, okay? Anytime we get a collapse in the investor sentiment survey from the AAII, like we just saw, to super bearish levels, you usually get a big rally over the subsequent 6 to 12 months. Mm-hmm. Anytime that you see... Um, these divergence windows open up like we're seeing we're like we're seeing right now usually get a big rally over the next six to 12 months so when we sort of connect all the data points here we're starting to see the analysts being super bullish on single stock opportunities october 2011 preceded a big stock market melt over the next 12 months there are a lot of contrarian indicators out there right now that are flashing buy 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 and uh-huh. we are inclined to listen to those because we do think people are overly bearish about the probabilities of a recession over the next 12 months. The uh-huh. Fed is hiking rates into what will likely be a slowing economy, sure. But the economy right now is very strong. Unemployment uh-huh. is very low. Jobless claims are clocking in at record low numbers. The consumer uh-huh. is very strong. Household balance sheets are very strong. The housing market is still strong. I get it. Mortgage rates are rising, but the reality is supply is super limited, folks. And home builders can't build enough homes to compensate for that lack of supply because they themselves are facing labor shortages, supply shortages, higher financing rates to build these homes. So it's going to take a while for new home construction to catch up with the with the supply necessary to offset what is still robust demand. So the housing market's healthy. A lot of things are very healthy right now. Uh That economy can withstand one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten rate hikes over the next six to 12 months. It simply can. Will it slow Uh the economy? Absolutely. It will absolutely Uh slow the economy. That's what rate hikes do. Will it kill the economy? No. The economy will not be killed because the Fed decides to hike to 2% or 2.25% or 2.5% on their target rate in 2022. That's not going to kill the economy. Where the economy could get killed is if in 2023, the Fed keeps hiking rates aggressively as a slowdown really starts to emerge. What the Fed needs to do is hike rates, watch the economy, see it slow. Once it gets to a point where inflation feels tamed and the economy is not as vigorous as it is today, pause on the rate hikes. So that happens in 2023. That's a different story. We'll talk about it when we get there. But when we look at the (laughs) next 12 months, if things are going to be good, things are going to be strong. The economy is going to continue to be strong. You're just going to get a slowing economy, but a still strong economy. And that is enough to be supportive of a rally in stocks over the next 12 months, considering where we're starting today is a pretty bearish base. So yes, (laughs) we think the contrarian indicators are worth listening to right now. We do believe a stock market melt-up is in place. Uh, or is due over the next 12 months, and we would be positioned bullish for for that melt-up. Well, as we kind of begin to look forward into the next 12 months, uh, let's get into our market check-in. Still earnings season. Uh, We talked a little bit about that last week. Uh, It was bank earnings last week. Uh, Anything interesting there? Aaron, the bank earnings are never that not interesting. (laughs) 
right. Uh, the, uh, the, the higher rates are helping them get more money on net interest income. Um, and so, mm-hmm. and that's where they get a lot of their profits. So that is definitely juicing profits. The flat yield curve mm-hmm. was a concern for them, but the flat yield curve is now re-steepened. So, you know, the outlooks are actually improving for banks. So the numbers over there were, were pretty good. They weren't excellent. They weren't awful. They were pretty good. And pretty good is, is good enough for those stocks at current levels. Uh, anything on your radar for this week when it comes to overall market? Well, yeah. So normally earnings seasons, you know, you get the banks reporting. That's the first kind of wave of earnings that come through. And then you get uh, non-bank earnings. And that now we're starting to get some non-bank earnings. So mm-hmm. this morning we got um, J.B. Hunt. We got Johnson & Johnson. We got Silvergate Capital, uh, Capital, Lockheed Martin, Hasbro. All of those companies reported some pretty good numbers. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get IBM and Netflix on deck Tuesday. That's today. Obviously, people are going to hear this on Wednesday, so a little bit uh, expo facto. But anyways, uh, Tesla, Lamb Research, Procter & Gamble, Next Era Energy, Intuitive Surgical, Snap. Busy slate this week. Next week. Oh, it sounds like next week we'll have a lot to talk about in regards to earnings. Season. Well, yeah, and then next week's even busier. And the week after that, it'll die down a little bit. But the next three weeks, they're going to have a whole bunch of companies report Q2 earnings. And they're very mm-hmm. important because... Going back, Fundamental 101, um, what drives stock prices? Earnings per share times P multiple equals stock price. Um, Mm -hmm. P multiple right now is under compression because yields are moving higher. That 10-year Treasury yields, last I checked, was up at 2.8 something, 2.89, 2.9%. So it's spiking. Um, As it spikes, that means the earnings yield on stocks have to come down. The earnings yield is the inverse of the P multiple. Um, or the, sorry, the earnings has to go up. So the inverse P multiple, P multiple has to come down. So the rise in treasury yields is putting downward pressure on the P multiple. So in order for stocks to go higher and offset this P multiple compression, you need to see strong earnings per share growth. So that's what we're getting the pulse check on right now. We're getting a pulse check on. We know for a fact P multiples have to compress. Mm-hmm. Where are earnings going to go? Are earnings going to go up? Are earnings going to go down? Are earnings going to stay the same? And that trajectory is going to determine where stocks go. <clears throat> Our first look at earnings so far, as of Tuesday afternoon, pretty good. Um, a lot of these companies are reporting that, hey, we get there's a war in Ukraine. We understand inflation's high. We understand gas is high. We understand the Fed's hiking rates. But... Our business is doing pretty good. We're, we're selling a lot of product. We're, we have some supply chain disruptions, but we're figuring out how to work through those. Um, we're able to pass along our, our increased costs to consumers. Our margins are still pretty healthy, and we expect that to persist for the you know next three months and next nine months. So we're pretty good. That's basically the message we're hearing from every company right now. And if that continues to be the message throughout earnings season, then you're going to see stocks move higher because it means this EPS number that we're so focused on should actually maybe or should stabilize, if not trend higher. And that should provide support for stocks to move higher over the next three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. But we might not get that. Again, I'm talking about a first peak. 15% yeah. of companies have reported. We got 85% mm-hmm. to go, okay? A lot mm-hmm. can happen over that 85%, which is why we're not banking anything on earnings season. We think mm-hmm. that this could either be really good for stocks or really bad for stocks, and it's too uncertain <laughs> to know. Because what we're doing here is we're trying to predict what our management team is going to say 
about their businesses. It doesn't really mm-hmm. matter what happened over the past three months. We all know there was inflation, supply chain disruptions, blah, 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 blah. We want to know what the management teams are going to say about how they feel their businesses mm-hmm. are going to operate over the next three months and nine months. So from that perspective, banking on earnings season is basically banking on the feelings of various management teams. That's mm-hmm. impossible to do, okay? Human behavior is naturally stochastic and impossible to predict. We're not going to try and predict the feelings of management teams. So we're saying, hey, flip a coin. This guy would be really good for stocks or really bad for stocks. If it's really good, then we're going to see the beginnings of what we believe will be a melt-up. If it's really bad, mm-hmm. we believe we're going to see a retest of the 4,000 level on the S&P and then a successful mm-hmm. hold there and then a melt-up over the next 12 months. Either way, we see a melt-up over the next 12 months happening. It's just whether or not we straight rally and do it from here or we have another gut-wrenching pullback and then a rally. Um, mm-hmm. Which outcome? I don't know, but 12 months, we think it looks pretty good. So it sounds like, at least based on the earnings that have been reported so far, that the big three that we've been talking about, the Fed inflation with inflation, uh, China COVID and the Ukraine-Russia conflict, it sounds like that these are starting to be, at the very least, taken into consideration and not affecting the future outlook of uh, these companies that have reported earnings so far. Yeah, I mean, they're being taken into consideration, but we want to, that's what this earnings is all, is all about. It's about seeing how much managements believe those <laughs> factors are going to impact their day-to-day business operations over the next three, six, nine months. Mm -hmm. And if negligible, then stocks move higher. If significant, then stocks move lower. It's it's pretty binary at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, but to your point, that's why the certain season is so important. We're going to finally see what impact those big three factors management teams believe are going to have on their companies gotcha uh shifting gears into our crypto check-in uh we have a relevant fan question from uh cs low uh the question goes luke you've talked about bitcoin possibly moving to a hundred thousand k in the next 12 months what about for ethereum what is your price prediction projection i'm sorry of eth in the next 12 months months especially with ethereum's merge of to proof of stake coming closer to fruition Thank you. Cool. Yeah. So to answer that, let's first talk about just the broad crypto markets, because something that is very important to realize as a crypto investor is that as goes Bitcoin, so goes the rest of the crypto market. We have yet to witness in the era of widespread altcoins, Mm -hmm. a divergence in altcoin performance from the performance of Bitcoin. If Bitcoin okay. is moving higher, it's a rising tide that's lifting all boats. If mm-hmm. Bitcoin is moving lower, it's a sinking tide that is sinking all boats. So mm-hmm. if you want to understand where Ethereum is going, where any altcoin is going, Look at Bitcoin. You, you have to check in with Bitcoin. You mm-hmm. have to have confidence that the outlook for Bitcoin is bullish to have confidence for the outlook of all altcoins, at least in this environment. I think in the future, that will not be true. Mm-hmm. But this early in the crypto game, where we are today against the macroeconomic backdrop we have, that is true, has been true, and will likely remain true. So where's Bitcoin going? Well, Bitcoin has formed this nice little uptrend since January 2022. Mm -hmm. And that uptrend has been tested multiple times. 
and has held every single time. Right now, as we speak, we're bounced. It tested it down around 39.2, and it came bouncing back. We're up around, what are we, right? 41, 3, 41.4. So we've had a nice little bounce off that. So it looks like it wants to hold this uptrend. This uptrend, importantly, is gradual and not sudden. So it mm-hmm. does look like Bitcoin is now in this kind of gradual, grinded out, let's get to 50, let's get to 60, let's get to 70, but it's not going to be a sprint, it's going to be a crawl to those levels. And I think that correlates with what will be an equity melt-up, right? We've talked about the correlation between Bitcoin and equities over the past uh, mm-hmm. several months, especially since November 2021, it's been a basically one-for-one one correlation. Mm-hmm. So if equities melt up, Bitcoin goes higher, that seems to make sense. It lines up with our fundamental thinking about the stock market. So we think Bitcoin does grind higher here. What does Ethereum do? Same thing. Ethereum mm-hmm. grinds higher from current levels. Right now we're looking at, what, a 3100 price? Definitely a grind towards 4000 is in the cards if indeed Bitcoin continues in this parallel channel uptrend up to 50000 60000 levels. If that does take place, Ethereum to 4000 seems to make a lot of sense. And 4,500 even makes some sense. Long term, where could Ethereum go? I'm not really in the game of throwing out a price target for Ethereum. It's really hard at this point in time. Let's just say that Ethereum has tremendous long term upside potential. Um, but mm-hmm. some risks as it relates to developers leaving the layer one for other layer ones that don't have such high gas fees. Um, mm-hmm. We believe such an exodus is not a major long-term risk, but rather just a cap on the upside potential. Um, but is this a crypto that could easily 5X, 6X, 7X over the next five, six, seven years? Absolutely. Um, we view Ethereum as a very solid long-term buy and hold investment uh, for crypto folks. Which long-term is the way to go. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh So that kind of wraps up our general stuff. We do have a few really good fan questions this week. Uh, Janine Heron uh, says, great show. Again, uh, own every stock discussed and made me feel positive about my decisions for the future. Market disruptors. Uh, I would love to hear Luke's perspective on lithium and rare earth miners and exploration companies. Elon Musk mentioned that Tesla should probably be buying mining companies. So I've been researching some and found Brazil Minerals, BMIX, okay. penny stock, uh, and would appreciate any opinions here or any companies with 10 to 100 exponential. Your value insights are truly appreciated, respected, and a great guiding source. Luke, that's a great compliment. I see your head getting a little bigger as I read that. But uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, some of the mining companies and if you have any insight into Brazil Minerals? Honestly, that's a fabulous question. Um, As I said earlier, a lot of people think of the miners as an electric vehicle play, but it's not just an electric vehicle play. It's just a future Mm -hmm. play. Because the future is one that's built on batteries, lithium ion batteries, lithium metal batteries, um, whatever batteries. You're going to see those be the infrastructure upon which we live our lives. Our energy is going to come from batteries. Our transportation is going to come from batteries. A lot of things are going to come from batteries. So when you talk about miners, when you talk about the metal companies, you're looking at companies that are going to supply future mission critical materials to the most important industries on the planet. That's a pretty attractive and compelling long-term value proposition. So are we bullish on the mining companies? Are we bullish on the the rare earth metal companies? Absolutely. We think there is a lot of potential there. Which ones are we particularly bullish on? 
Drum roll, and I don't have an answer for you because we are actually actively doing research into those companies right now. It is a it's the wild, wild west. The yeah. the mining industry feels like the wild, wild west. You have penny stocks all over Australia, mm-hmm. South America, Europe. Like there, there are stocks everywhere to play this. Not all of them are going to win. In fact, mm-hmm. we think the industry is due for some massive consolidation, mm-hmm. uh, and. It may not even be entirely investable until after that consolidation takes place, but I reserve stating an official kind of opinion on the matter until I conclude my research into which mining companies I think are kind of at the forefront here. But it is a very interesting angle and it is a very compelling long-term value prop for investing in the the lithium metal and basically cobalt, mm-hmm. nickel, copper, graphite companies related to the production and manufacturing and mining of those metals to me very attractive story there Mm -hmm. i have to dig into each company specifically to find the company specific fundamentals to know which ones are the best Mm -hmm. stocks but the macro story there is very interesting very strong something i like a lot i can't wait to continue that story uh now our next question comes from mia t uh, Volta or ChargePoint, which one has the best, best growth potential and business plan? Great question. Great question. So I think both are compelling long-term investments. ChargePoint mm-hmm. is the lower risk, lower upside play. It is the leader in L2 charging. Uh, it is the, they have the widest network. They have the best app. Their mobile app is fantastic. They have a great team. They have all the partnerships. They have a lot of enterprise partnerships, which are big in this industry, right? Because if you win over Facebook, then you win over all of Facebook's offices. Facebook's not going to have charge point chargers at one place and EVgo chargers at another place and Blink chargers at another place. No, if Facebook has charge point chargers at one office, they're going to have charge point chargers at every office. That's Mm-hmm. just how enterprise contracts work ChargePoint has a lot of really promising enterprise contracts with a lot of big companies that have multiple office locations a lot of those companies are very what you would consider eco-friendly companies i would assume a lot of their employees drive electric cars so huge demand there um, on the ChargePoint ecosystem side of things love that stock it's been beaten down that company is hiking guidance their revenues are surging this is a place where the divergence is pretty big uh that company honestly could not be growing more quickly at the stock's been hammered i think buying here with a long-term mindset and holding for the long haul is a really 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 good decision i think that Mm -hmm. stock could make folks a lot of money in the long run moving on to volta higher risk higher reward play i absolutely i love the volta business model i think it is genius I think it is nothing short of genius. So for those who don't don't under or know the or familiar with the name, Volta is an EV charging company, but they're basically a real estate company and a digital advertising company. So okay. as opposed to building yeah. chargers and then charging people to use those chargers, which is how a company mm-hmm. like ChargePoint or Blink Charging makes money, um, very similar to a gas station, what Volta does is they build chargers and then mm-hmm. allow you to charge for free. But you got to watch the advertisements. And they monetize because their chargers are these massive 
digital display screens that mm-hmm. have advertisements and are constantly cycling advertisements. So they make money by selling ad space on those digital display ads. And that's mm-hmm. their business model. I think it's genius because it's a win for the consumers. They get free yeah. charging. Mm-hmm. It's a win for the company because digital advertising revenues have much higher gross margins, something like 60, 70, 80% than actual EV charging. And mm-hmm. it's a win for the installer of the uh, EV charger. So what ChargePoint or what Volta is doing is they're trying to strategically place their chargers in front of very busy shopping centers, in mm-hmm. front of Walgreens, in front of Target, in front of movie theaters, places where if I see an ad right before I go in, I subconsciously might go in and buy that product, mm-hmm. right? Like if I'm park my car at a Target, we actually down the street, we have a Target that has voltage charging stations. So if I, <laughs> if I park my, even if I'm not parking at the charging station, let's say I park, you know, a couple, couple of feet away, hundred feet away. I park mm-hmm. my car and I walk by that charging station and I see this giant ad for, for Vita Coco water. I've been seeing that recently. Um, and so I see that and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then I go in the store subconsciously. I'm thinking about that. And then, you know what, mm-hmm. if I see it on the shelf, maybe I'm going to buy it, throw it in my car. Mm-hmm. Boom. So in that regard, it's a win for target because yep. target is now increasing their sales and that allows them to make more money, obviously. So I think it's, it's, it's a triple win business model. That is a very powerful mm-hmm. one. And I really like what they're doing. They've had some operational challenges recently mm-hmm. as it relates to uh, there's been a massive C-suite shakeup. The co-founders have left the company. That's a little bit concerning. But what I think is actually happening there is the co-founders had this great idea, didn't mm-hmm. really know how to run the business, went public, mm-hmm. had been missing their targets. That's why the stock has been crushed. Um, mm-hmm. And so the board was kind of like, uh, you guys got to go. So they kind of kicked out those guys. They have an interim CEO. They're looking for a new one who can actually execute and scale the business. I think that's a positive operational shift. And Mm -hmm. once they get the right CEO in place, once they get the right C-suite in place, the idea is ready for rapid scaling. And I think that's a stock that has a lot of risk at these levels. But if you're willing to take that risk and you're willing to lose what could be 50% or 60% on your investment for the chance Mm -hmm. of making what I think could be 10x or 20x returns from current levels, Mm -hmm. then I think Volta looks really appetizing here. Are there any other high-risk factors that you want to talk about with regards to Volta? Um, Well, it's a new model, right? The EV charging model has been proven. It works. The digital advertising on top of EV charging is a brand new business model. It's not proven. Mm -hmm. It's not shown to work. They have case studies that show that it does increase, you know, sales at this for this brand or at this location. So there are one off studies that do illustrate the, the robustness of the business model and the idea. But at scale, it's not proven. So there's definitely some execution challenges and scaling challenges mm-hmm. therein. But to me, those feel fully baked into the valuation Right, the stocks at what two bucks and change now. I think that's mm-hmm. fully baked in here. I think this stock could easily be a 20, 30, $40 stock over the next two or three years. So if you have the risk tolerance, again, only for people who have the risk tolerance, I think it's it's a, mm-hmm. it's worth a look down here. For for getting kind of the high risk, high reward when and between and the differences between the two, are we seeing with when it comes to EV charging, it being like a 
you know, Coke and Pepsi scenario between Volta and Chargepoint, or do you kind of see a scenario where one of these has to win out because of the nature of electric vehicle charging? Uh, how many gas stations do you go to? They're okay. <laughs> Uh, the, the the charging industry will evolve as an oligopoly, not mm-hmm. a duopoly and not a monopoly, yeah. but an oligopoly. There'll probably be about four or five different players, each with unique strategic um, differences. Um, mm-hmm. Some will be geographic differences. Some will be technology differences. Some will be proposition differences. That's where Volta thrives, proposition difference. Um, I think ChargePoint is kind of like becomes this national L2. It's what, you know, you see almost everywhere. Volta mm-hmm. will be in certain locations in front of Whole Foods, in front of shopping mm-hmm. centers, in front of Walmart, Walmarts, Targets, movie theaters, Home Depot, so on and so forth. And then there are some other names that I think have, you know, like the solar powered charging stations. Those are pretty interesting. Um, but I think long term, it's going to be an oligopoly. Four or five players dominate the market. Two or three dominate 80 percent of the market. And that's how it's going to go. If I were to name of the top five who are going to be some of them, I think the charge point of Volta have a shot at being two of the top five. Charge point for sure. I think charge point's a lock. Charge yeah. point is a lock as one of the top five. Volta, mm-hmm. not a lock, but if they do end up carving a niche out for themselves in the top five, then the stock mm-hmm. has enormous upside potential. Gotcha. Uh, our last question and kind of switching back gears to uh, crypto Alpha Omega, Bitcoin halving in 2024. Does Bitcoin go higher in 2024? Uh, I think <laughs> uh, Alpha Omega is referring to uh, something that happens in crypto called halvening, which I have a very cursory knowledge of. But before maybe we answer the question, can you describe what that is? Yeah, so Bitcoin happening is essentially when the supply of Bitcoin, a uh, new Bitcoin released uh, via mining gets halved every so often to constrain the ultimate supply of Bitcoin um and and continue to reward people for mining it so that happens every so often um it is going to the next having is going to happen in 2024 so that is a big catalyst because historically speaking bitcoin has rallied significantly after mm-hmm. happenings um the first happening happened back in 2012 late 2012 mm-hmm. And Bitcoin rallied something like 8,000% uh, shortly thereafter, like within a year, basically. So huge rally. Mm-hmm. Uh, second happening happened in July 2016, I believe. Mid-2016. Mm-hmm. I think it was July 2016. Um, don't quote me on that, though. Uh, and then Bitcoin proceeded to have a massive rally um, over the back half of 2016 and into 2017. Um, it gained like, I think it gained like 300% during that time. And then the third happening happened in May of 2020, so more recently. And that, as many of you know, kickstarted a big bull market in cryptos throughout the back half of 2020 and into 2021. Bitcoin surged about 560, 570% over that stretch from. <laughs> from the happening to its peak. So that is a pretty strong track record. You have three happenings so far. You have three periods of supercharged gains, anywhere from 300% to 8,000%. So mm-hmm. fourth happening is coming along. Yeah, history says it's going to be a pretty bullish factor for Bitcoin. Could you see another doubling, tripling of the price in the year after this happening? Maybe not a tripling because it gets incrementally harder to add 
value as you get bigger law of large returns Mm -hmm. but i do think that the fourth happening in 2024 will act as a bullish upward catalyst for bitcoin prices so long as the macroeconomic backdrop remains favorable at that point in time what is the macroeconomic backdrop going to be in 2024 i have no idea so we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But the ostensible cursory analysis here is, yes, that is something to look forward to if you're a Bitcoin bull and a crypto bull. Because remember, crypto, mm-hmm. Bitcoin, crypto. Rising. Bitcoin goes up, crypto goes up. So yep. that, that rising tide should lift all the boats, all the altcoin boats in the market as well. Well, as always, this has been another great discussion. Uh, any last words before we wrap? Um. You know, Aaron, uh, thank you for the mic. That's one thing I wanted You're to welcome. say. You're uh, very, very welcome. But something else I did, I did want to add more seriously is sure. the markets feel very wonky right now. And it's very mm-hmm. volatile and somewhat scary and spooky out there. You have big down days followed by big up days followed by 1% swings in a day, 2% swings in a day. Then it looks like everything's all good. Then everything's going to crash again. It's it's scary and it's uncertain and it's spooky and highly volatile and the best thing you can do during times like this is to mostly ignore the noise because Mm -hmm. the economy the macroeconomic backdrop it's going to swing it's going to change the winds are going to blow one way one week and another way the next week but what's not going to change are a lot of the secular underlying growth stories that mm-hmm. we talk about in these podcasts. Mm-hmm. What's not going to change is the fact that consumers are going to adopt electric vehicles en masse over the next three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. What's mm-hmm. not going to change is that solid state batteries are going to become a thing and change the world as we know it over the next five to 10 years. What's mm-hmm. not going to change is a shift towards digital banking, is a shift towards digital media is a shift towards digital advertising and digital shopping what's not going to change is the secular shift we're seeing towards hybrid work towards people doing a combination of working from home and working in the office and working on vacation la de la de do hybrid work what's not going to change is people becoming more obsessed with and engaged in the metaverse those things are not going to change so when it seems like everything is changing around you in the near term, because you're looking at it through a microscope and you're like, oh, my God, everything's all volatile. Just mm-hmm. zoom out and look at the tides that are not changing. And those tides are the things we invest in. And folks, that's why we invest in them, because they don't change. They are rocks upon which we can latch on to during mm-hmm. periods like this and i get it the stocks might not be acting that way the stocks are going to also go boom 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 zig and zag and go up and down and oftentimes the zig and zags are going to be more pronounced in those stocks than they are in the rest of the market but if you zoom out and look at the big picture the trend of those stocks is going to be up and to the right and that's mm-hmm. what you have to do during times like this is zoom out look at the big picture and latch on to things that feel certain latch on to things that you know are going to happen and don't worry about what's going to happen over the next three months six months 12 months recession no recession it might happen i think a recession could happen in late 2023 not mm-hmm. the base case but it definitely could happen but guess what e-commerce cloud computing digital advertising all those things survived multiple recessions and breakdowns over the past several decades 
Mm-hmm. So the trends we're invested in today are going to survive that recession as well. Just going to be a good buying opportunity. So that's why you got to look out or zoom out, look at the big picture, focus on the things that are not going to change over the next decade, invest in those trends and let the chips fall where they may, because in a year they may not fall where you want them to fall. But in five years, in seven years, in 10 years, they're absolutely going to fall where you want them to fall. So long as you stay patient, steadfast and have conviction in your investment style. Well, I'm sure that's reassuring for any investor to hear. Uh, let alone reassuring to our listeners. And I want to thank our listeners for listening. Uh, If you have any questions or comments for Luke, uh, please leave them in our comments section. We'd love to hear your feedback and what topics you'd like us to cover and see if we can answer any of your burning questions. Until then, please don't forget to like and subscribe, and we will see you again next week. Bye, all.